0: a fancy girl <laughs> you're a fancy girl dave just start you're listening to the dollop this is a bi-weekly american history podcast each week i read a story from american history to my friend
1: gareth reynolds who has no idea what the topic is going to be about meow meow God, do you want a little hit a dude? I'll do one bottle
0: <laughs> People say this is funny.
1: Not Gary Garrett.
0: Dave OK. Someone or something is tickling people.
1: Is it for fun? And this is
0: not gonna become the Tickly podcast. Okay. You <laughs> are Queen Fakey of
1: made-up Uptown. All hail, Queen shit of Liesville! <laughs> a bunch of religious virgins go to mingle and do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. <laughs> I see done, my friend. No. <laughs> no. 1981! <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> that a one little, that got one. caught in the throat a little there, yeah, huh? That was tough. <laughs> emotional.
0: El Paso and Juarez sit across the border from each other in southwest Texas. In 1981, gambling and smuggling were as common as fixing parking tickets.
1: Okay. How, are Mer- you, how do you fix parking tickets? Sorry,
0: you can fix a parking
1: ticket. You what do you mean fix?
0: Well, you have a friend go in and fix your parking ticket. You take it off the thing.
1: Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, fix. Wink. Gosh, this is going to be a long podcast. I'm calling
0: you a dummy. Oh, okay. Marijuana flowed across uh, the border. Woo! It was estimated one out of every uh, five households in the two cities made their living from illegal activity. Hell yeah. The director of El Paso Customs said in the late 70s, quote, if we stopped all smuggling activity right now, the economies of the two cities would fall flat on their faces.
1: Well, so, the, we're all about we are a jobs economy. We are. Just keep so, those jobs going. Yeah, that's why we still would coal, keep coal going.
0: The Chagra family were very proud, good-looking, tough Lebanese merchants who came to the area in the 19, early 1900s and lived south of the border. The leader of the family at that time supported the Mexican Revolution and was imprisoned in Mexico, almost shot, but somehow managed to get his family across the border out of Juarez to El Paso, where they lived ever since. Okay. Lee Chagra was the first college graduate in the family. He graduated fourth in his class from the University of Texas Law School in 1962. Okay. Usually, one of the biggest law firms in Texas would invite the top six graduates to a huge gala, but in 1962, they only invited five. Why? Who got left out? (laughs) Leaving Lee out. What? Lee already had a reputation for being outspoken. Nothing wrong with that. He had spoken, had, uh, spoken out against segregated dorms and football teams, and you don't mess with football in Texas.
1: He'd spoken out about... He was anti-segregated dorms, and he... What about the football team? He was... He just...
0: He thought that... Well, he thought that it was time to, you know... Have black athletes? Black, allow right. black and white athletes to play together. <laughs> like a total... Full monster.
1: Idiot. Uh, years they'll, l- they'll get each other... They'll get their colors on each other
0: that's true that happens and then you don't know who's who it's why we still have segregated
1: sports it makes sense yeah which yeah which, why, I don't, I don't which is you, why the white nfl ratings are not good i don't know
0: if you've seen the wisconsin
1: have you watched the seen. white nba it's great it's really bad and no by great i mean terrible it's really bad when they learned to dunk oh uh, if they got one guy who could dunk
0: um Years later, one of the leading constitutional law authorities would say Lee Chagra was one of the few students who stood out in my memory. So he's actually a good attorney. Okay. Lee married young. His wife was named Joanne, uh, Joanny, and he joined her, her brother's law firm in El Paso after, after he got out of law school. They took on every serious criminal that came in the door. Murder, rape, robbery, burglary, whatever. Lee believed everyone deserved a quality defense. And they were good. They didn't lose a case for the first four years. Holy shit. Yeah. Not fucking around. Defending murderers? Winning? Whatever. All right. Let it happen. Okay. Well, he also liked to look good. He wore a black cowboy hat, nice handmade boots, expensive jewelry, including a gold bracelet with the word freedom engraved on it. Oh, boy.
1: What? Okay.
0: He liked it so much, he had other freedom bracelets made for all his family members. Sure. Joannie gave him an ebony cane with a gold handle. Why not?
1: I mean, you've you've already come so far in your look. You're bedazzled. You have a black cowboy hat. It's time to get something in that hand for when you walk.
0: Uh, he carried the cane it kinda everywhere. That kind of sounds like the
1: it, Texas Willy Wonka a little bit. A
0: little bit. He carried the cane everywhere and became known for it. He loved to take on cases that looked hopeless. Even the worst of the worst deserved a fair trial. But more than anything, he loved the limelight, the publicity that came with taking and winning these cases. Sure enough, his name was often in the headlines, and Lee loved it. He also really liked making money. Okay. In the early 70s, a drug dealer named Tom Pitts and two associates from Tennessee were busted bringing (laughs) 600 pounds of marijuana across
1: the border. Holy shit. That's a lot of marijuana. It's a lot. I don't know if they were going to smoke all that. Well, you could say. I mean, if you have a big enough bong,
0: I guess. 200 pounds
1: each. 200 pounds That's each. That's Yeah, a pound of... Pound of... Six months. Month. Hour, hour, month.
0: Pitts was told to use Chagra by another drug dealer who had heard of him from the headlines, and Lee was brutally honest. Quote, I can't save you. You're going to get five years each. You'll do at least 18 months, and I'm going to have to charge you $10,000. Lee meant $10,000 for all three of them, but Pitts didn't understand that. He pulled thirty. $1000
1: out of his sock. What? That's That's a good misstep. You're like, "Me exactly what I was talking about." Yep. Glad Weird. we're on the same page. How big is his sock? Like what's happening with the He sock? must not have had a foot. <laughs> he was probably just excited to get it out of his sock. He was like, "Thank God. I thought you were going to say like 10 grand." oh it <laughs> feels so it. much better.
0: Ah. Oh. I should get a wallet or a briefcase. Oh my god. Uh he put it on the desk. In under a day, Lee discovered that the search warrant wasn't proper, and the case was dismissed. Oh shit! Now every drug dealer and smuggler knew to go to Lee Chagra. He got a safe for his office, and some drug dealers actually kept a deposit in there just in case.
1: It's an interesting. I'll be back for sure. <laughs> you know, when I get arrested, it's when, not if, Lee. Right. So just put it in the in the safe.
0: Put it on a tab. Jack Strickland had grown up in El Paso as an upper-middle-class neighborhood kid. He started selling drugs when he was young to his friends. And by the late 60s, he was moving tons of pot across the border. Okay. Narcotics agents believe Strickland was supplying most of the South and Southwest U.S.
1: That's well, quite a client list.
0: Strickland became a Lee Shagra client, and they quickly became very good friends. And Strickland sent more and more drug dealers to Shagra. In 1972, Lee made two hundred fifty thousand dollars. The next year, he made four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, he built a huge house with a pool and stables, electronically operated gates, and a closed circuit television monitor system. Drugs were big business, but the government had taken note.
1: Had taken note of the fact that he is doing so well no, off of just defending the, drug dealers.
0: Just that drugs were, you know, right. a problem. Right. In 1969, President Nixon appointed Stephen Hess to be the national chairman of the White House Conference for Children and
1: Youth. Short name.
0: His job was simple, to go around the country and find out what kids in America were concerned about.
1: That's a weird job.
0: But, I mean, there weren't... I mean, it's not like they had the internet. I've been
1: meeting with some really interesting five-year-olds, Mr. President. <laughs> and... Uh, one of their biggest concerns is clay. They clay actually uh, and they love clay. poop. And uh, poo. Uh, and also running. Sprinting is huge with them. They are them. big on running. I think we could come up with a whole sort of tag sprint campaign. Really get those voters primed for 13 years from now when they're eligible to uh, elect anyone.
0: Mr. President, have you heard of peekaboo?
1: Of course I've heard of peekaboo.
0: That's the number one.
1: Hey, where am I? Peekaboo. No, I mean, I could, I, okay. I was behind my hands the whole time. No, I know. I wasn't hidden. I understand. That's why I said peekaboo there.
0: Uh, right. Okay, I'm going to leave. Peekaboo. It
1: took him When eight- you leave, come back in and go peekaboo.
0: Yep. Okay, I will. Peek peekaboo.
1: Ah! Oh, we got me.
0: It took uh, Stephen has 18 months going around the country talking to young people. Jesus Christ. Uh, but he had the answers. Kids were concerned with the war in Vietnam, the economy and unemployment education, the environment, poverty, and drugs. But not drugs the way old, scared white people thought of of them. College kids wanted drugs dealt with on the addiction level, not through punishment.
1: Right. Well, good luck with that.
0: Three months later, Nixon launched his war on drugs.
1: Perfect. So he was listening and very calculated. At a press conference, he named drug abuse
0: as public enemy number one in the United States. Not a thought was given to solving addiction. Users were criminals destroying society and they had to be stopped. Nixon dramatically increased the federal drug agencies, pushed mandatory drug sentences and no-knock warrants. He labeled marijuana as a schedule 1 drug, the most restrictive category. Why would he do such a thing? You ask or you don't. Why would but you I'm do such a, you.
1: Why would he do such
0: a thing? Oh, that's interesting. Well, it reads like a conspiracy, but this came from one of the architect's mouths. <laughs> Nixon and his boys realized a war on drugs could serve other purposes, as John Ehrlichman, who would go to prison for Watergate, said, The Nixon campaign after 1968 had two enemies, the anti-war left and blacks. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war. Jesus Christ. But getting the public to associate hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. But we did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did. But that didn't mean they didn't set in motion an actual war on drugs. Considered a side effect.
1: So the reason why—I mean, the only reason to have a war on drugs is so that you can arrest hippies and black people, pretty much, right?
0: And this is the kind of thing that, if you said at the time, people would call you a crazy conspiracy asshole, right? And here is one of the architects saying exactly what they did, yeah.
1: So, so weird how have... people don't trust government.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Enter G. Gordon Liddy. Liddy was uh, also who went to jail for Watergate. Uh, Liddy was a member of Nixon's administration And completely insane Ian Ehrlichman came up with Operation Intercept Which had been executed in 1969 It was basically a giant event for the media In which the border crossings Between Mexico and the US were shut down In an attempt to stop the flow of weed So they basically Well, the administration brought Every government agency in on the planning Except the State Department hmm, Interesting well, You wouldn't want to tell because they're just in charge of Yeah, that stuff Yep and the Mexicans were not told the extent of the police action until 24 hours before it began. In what was a massive media event, millions of U.S. citizens were stopped and searched at the border. Every single car. They used to that search like line. one out of ten. Holy shit. And now they're searching. Yeah, so it's this massive line Ugh. of cars. It's a total disaster. Within a week, Mexicans were talking about boycotting all U.S. products.
1: Also, the truth, though, is, is like, if you're going to do something like that, that's such a dumb way to do it because the idea is that you want to stay, it, you want to stop like what looks suspicious. You put these people in positions to recognize what's suspicious, and give thorough searches on suspicious situations, as opposed to searching everybody just probably a minimal amount.
0: All I hear is blah 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 from you. Sure. Um, so Operation Intercept, uh, it's all shut down. Total disaster. I'm talking about boycotts. And then Operation Intercept was ended after three weeks. Why? Yeah, I can't imagine why. But that didn't stop Liddy from planning. He talked to the CIA about killing all major drug traffickers in the Middle East. He also considered putting poison drugs into the drug market. That's fucking crazy.
1: (laughs) That's insane. I don't know. Tom just took one hit of weed and he's fucking convulsing. Well, they did that in Prohibition. They poisoned booze. Booze is poison, though. So the people were probably just like, oh, man. I mean, you remember Mike Malloy. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) One
0: thing Liddy and the recently created Drug Enforcement Administration did decide to use were agent provocateurs. They would basically create crime
1: to get the bad guys. So, a honey trap.
0: Yeah. Okay. Lawyers started noticing cases in which people were lured into committing crimes by federal, shall we say, contractors or narcs or assholes, whatever you want to call them. They pushed people into doing illegal activities. This is actually still how the FBI catches terrorists. You know, when you ever hear like a group in Florida were caught.
1: Yeah. The way they
0: always the FBI and FBI informants pushing these guys to do something they don't really want to do. So it's entrapment. Yeah. It's still the same. Uh, so, uh, back to the drugs. The cases were so absurd at times. One El Paso cafe owner was tricked into buying weapon weapons and by the end, was purchasing a submarine.
1: Wait. They, they entrapped tried, a dude they... to agree to buy a submarine? <laughs> they must yeah. have been like, this is going really good. Let's see. Try, try the biggest sell. What's the biggest thing we can have him buy? Fucking plane, sub- tanks. Sub- I don't know. Get him to buy a submarine. submarine. Can we sell him a submarine? So um, we were just talking, and actually, you know, I don't know if you're interested, but...
0: Any interest in a submarine? Yeah, I also like to make eggs in my diner. I like submarines, then I make eggs. Move, 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 move. (laughs) And to make it even worse, the guy was convicted.
1: That's got to be, like, such a weird trial. (laughs) You're like, what? He hypothetically bought a submarine. I guess guilty. Sure, but I don't know because I think guilty is not guilty in this situation. It's really, uh, check out Jose.
0: Oh yeah, uh, that is the sexiest shot you've ever seen. Oh jeez, who's a pretty girl? He's a boy.
1: Oh, look at that! He's even hamming for you. He, hey, gave, dude. he gave oh, he gave you blue steel right there. He did give me blue steel. Okay,
0: so. Uh... Then law enforcement, with their uh, obviously new powers to just fucking ruin people at will, uh, came after Lee Chagra. On June 20th, narcotics agents came to Lee's law office with a warrant for his arrest. A grand jury in Nashville had indicted Chagra and 40 other people on a charge of conspiracy to import and distribute marijuana. Lee was handcuffed to Joe Annie's nephew, who happened to be a massive drug dealer. And uh was taken to county jail. Joanne bailed out Lee with fifty thousand dollars. But when he got a look at the indictment, he saw it was extremely vague. So vague that he couldn't build the defense because he didn't understand what he'd been arrested for. Oh that's good. Uh arrested for bad stuff. Hey, you knew a guy who saw a guy with a face, right? Yeah,
1: you did bad stuff. Hey, you know Pot? Do you know what pot is? Yeah. You under arrest. Wait. You know you know a guy Hey, you know your clients? Yeah, I know. Yes, I know like, who my uh, clients. They're are. like pot guys. Yeah, I represent pot guys. You're busted. Feels like, nope. Can I have a look at that paper? Nope, sir. Ready? Uh, the charges
0: against all the defendants would eventually be dropped after several months. The media said the charges had been dropped due to a lack of a speedy trial, but that wasn't true.
1: There was lack of specificity.
0: Yeah, in reality, there was absolutely no evidence. The judge who dropped the charges said it was, quote, so worded as to be utterly meaningless, and therefore the indictment actually charged nothing at all. God, it's so nice to hear that judges used to be like, no, fuck you. (laughs) He scolded the DEA and the prosecutors, but the damage was done. Lee had already been tried in the court of public opinion. Lee's career was almost destroyed. Jesus, No one wanted a lawyer who was under indictment, and it took two years for those charges to be dropped. Now Lee went from disliking narcotic cops to hating them with a passion that would never die. Okay. He started taping all of his phone conversations. Oh, boy. See what
1: they do? See what they, this they create? What like, it's like he, he was a fine, normal man yeah. who was trying to do good, and now he's just like, no, no, no. Yeah. Let's go into the talk room. Now he's going batshit crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He filed a Freedom of Information request demanding that the feds hand over all documents relating to its investigations of him. And from that, he learned the feds were always keeping tabs on him. His office and home telephone and income tax records had been subpoenaed for years. Every one of his clients who had been convicted were immediately interrogated by DEA agents about Lee. Wow. They were all offered deals to snitch on him. But there's nothing to snitch. Yeah. And often a new client would come to his office and talk about a case and then at some point in the conversation, try to buy drugs from Lee.
1: Wait, that's how they were trying to get him. Yeah,
0: that's one of the ways. So
1: he'd just show up and be like, "Yeah, that's how, well, you know, you sound like a good lawyer. Yeah, I think you could help me. Do you like cocaine? What's that? Do you like cocaine? I mean, I don't I'm excited like... to turn my life around. What? With your help? What you, uh, do I'm... you? Do you want to buy heroin? I'm. What's your favorite drug?
0: I, no, I'm a I'm weed a... guy.
1: I'm a lawyer. Molly. I'm a lawyer. Acid. I'm just frog butt. Uh, I, I what do you want to buy I can't do what do you this. like to sniff no, what do you put in your arms they weren't, what do you smoke they weren't selling what do you Lee? smoke they were asking Lee to sell to them Lee will you sell me drugs is what yeah, I'm they trying to ask they would sit down
0: and be like hey Lee you want to sell me some coke and he'd be like I don't sell
1: coke okay so the guy would instead would be like this hey Lee you got any coke no got any heroin no you got any pot no how about some molly what do I like uh, no frog butt are you here for drugs? Do you want to hire me as a lawyer? Hire? Hire? Get higher? I'd love to get higher. Is that what you're offering? No. You can hire? You can I, get me higher? I can't. That's what you're suggesting? There's not a... What do you have? Weed? There's nothing. You here. a weed guy?
0: <laughs> but how stupid did they have to think he was that a guy could come in off the street and buy drugs from him?
1: Very stupid. Very stupid. Even if he's doing what they're thinking he's doing... They're going about it the wrong way.
0: Th- well, these, are like, these are like the the stereotypical
1: bad cops in a TV show. These are the cops who hang out of a, in front of a Grateful Dead show with mustaches, aviators, a bandana, and a deadhead T-shirt on. And are like, hey, do you guys know where I can score some grass? <laughs>
0: <sighs> so he started to get hip to what was happening. And it became so common for these guys to come in off the street and try to buy drugs for- from him that Lee started taping the conversations And then sending them to the local DEA chief. (laughs) As he should, yeah. But that just made law enforcement want to take him down more. Oh, God. Because he was doing that, the DEA was convinced Lee was the mastermind of an international drug trafficking outfit.
1: Well, listen, you get enough dummies in a room and talk long enough, something stupid will come out of it.
0: (laughs) They figured that he was incredibly smart and was just taunting them. Yeah. That taunting and smarts was actually due to the fact that he was not a drug dealer, but just a lawyer. Yeah, and getting angry. So they were like, we can't get nothing on this guy because he's the fucking king. Yeah. Not like, he's not doing anything.
1: You know, this guy's so clean, I'm starting to think he's in charge of Holy it all. Oh, shit, this guy's smart. This guy's so clean, he's got to be doing everything. Um,.
0: What the D.A. didn't notice was that Lee's they were so focused on Lee that they didn't notice that his younger brother, Jimmy, was actually the guy running a major drug trafficking outfit. Holy shit. Jimmy Chagra had grown up hanging out with Lee's major clients, and he wanted to be the big boy on the block. No one in the Chagra family thought Jimmy would ever amount to much. He was the screw up. Uh, As a child, he was nicknamed Little Mischief. He was a mama's boy, and when things didn't go his way, he could get very cruel. But the family loved him, and they looked out for him. And yet everything he was involved in fell apart. He almost bankrupted the family carpet store. (laughs) I love that they have a carpet store. I love that there's a Lebanese family in El Paso with a carpet store. Carpet store, store, of course. Well, we got to do it. It's just like a stereotypical thing. We We have no choice. Uh, He ruined his marriage. He left her and the children. Eventually, he started running a floating blackjack game and selling dope. Wow. He loved gambling and often wrote bad checks to cover the debts. (laughs) Lee was always bailing him out. The two brothers loved each other, but had a horrible rivalry. Jimmy wanted to be like Lee, the guy everyone looked up to. He wanted to dress like Lee, and he wanted to be respected like Lee. He wanted it, but he didn't want to work to get it. But still, Lee protected Jimmy. In some way, Lee was jealous of Jimmy. Lee had to fight hard for everything he had gotten, but things seemed to come easy to Jimmy. In the summer of 1975, a friend of Jimmy's came to him with an idea. Instead of bringing drugs in on small planes or ships, oh boy. they should use a helicopter. Interesting. And this was actually a huge achievement in drug trafficking. It was a giant
1: innovation. That sounds pretty smart. I don't smart. understand why. Because it, wouldn't it be because my guess is they just monitor, like, helicopters. Well, why? I would assume it's because helicopters are easier to land anywhere you yeah. want, right? So, the, yeah, it's hard. I think it'd be, yeah, I think it's harder to monitor because a helicopter can take off from anywhere. Right. Uh, they brought in
0: 54,000 pounds of marijuana from Columbia. So they started with a small they went. Project. They went tiny.
1: They, went they tiny. started small and tested it out.
0: <laughs> Jimmy and his partner split $5 million. Oh, shit. Lee Chagra became the gang's legal advisor. The money kept pouring in, and with each new load of pot... Uh, Was more and more money And soon the Chagra brothers Were hitting Vegas As big rollers
1: So wait So Lee But Lee Okay so Lee Lee's just a lawyer He is But he knows What's going on right Um If he's getting all this money And he's going to Vegas Yeah yeah I'm sure he
0: knows What's going on But he's just uh, It's not like he's Involved in the business Other than Legal advice Like do this Don't You know Okay It's not actually criminal To do that Okay I think might be now. Um, The Chagra brothers put on a show at casinos. Lee would walk into Caesar's Palace and pass out money while asking people how much they loved him. Who do you love? Who do you love? Handed out $100 bills. Wait,
1: isn't that literally what the Joker does in the original Batman? (laughs) Who can you trust? Who can you trust?
0: (laughs) And the house took care of him. Caesars would immediately send a Learjet for Lear Jimmy if they made a phone call. Everything was on the house. On only five minutes notice, a plane would come. The Chagras didn't have to register. They just walked up to the front desk and grabbed a key to a suite. This was, of course, when the mob ran Vegas. Right. In the casino, they had special sections roped off. Only a few friends and celebrities like Rosie Greer or Gabe Kaplan were allowed to play with the Chagras. Gabe Kaplan? Gabe Kaplan. He's actually a
1: big poker player. He's a huge poker player. He also taught very important lessons on reruns of Welcome Back, Cotter, that there, I used to watch.
0: There's that. A lot of moral, moral lessons. Lee's limit was $3,000, about triple the usual high-stakes player. He had $250,000 credit line. Jesus. That's in fucking the late 70s.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. You could. Yeah, that's pretty good. He would play... I all- would not leave Caesar's Palace. No, I wouldn't either. He would I'd pl- have him change it to Caesar's <laughs> Palace.
0: Uh, squeeze me? Leesers. I'm Lee. He would play all Leesers seven... Leesers Palace. I got it. Okay. I, I I try to go past it. I just okay. tried. Sure. He would play all seven spots at a table at once. Well, so that's... he's doing $3,000 bets, at seven different spaces.
1: You know, they he's say when 20... it stops being social.
0: <laughs> the Chagras were at the top of their game. Then... In early 1977, a task force... I like to
1: think that he pretended to be different characters in each of the seats, too. Okay, I'm Bobby. Hit me. All right, Ah. now I'm a crazy cowboy. Gladys is going to hold. Now I'm a sassy southern belle. Hey, what's up, man? My name's Lee. I'm ready to make some bets. I don't come from this country, but I'm excited to learn customs and see how betting goes. Hit. Hit me. Also hit me. I want another hit, too. (laughs) Wait, I mean, how many people is that? Uh, just the three of us. <laughs> Don't forget about me,
0: Gladys.
1: I think we're up to... And me. I'm Big Tom. Yeah, we're up to nine. And I'm Baby Louie. <laughs> Wait, you can't be in here. I know. I got lost. <laughs> um, In early
0: 1977, a task force seized a DC-4 with 17,000 pounds of marijuana. The defendants were nicknamed the El Paso 10. Jimmy wasn't yet tied to it, but everyone knew he was the mastermind running the whole operation. Lee Chagra was the lead attorney, which put him in the news every day, which he loved. But then Jimmy stole the headlines back when he chartered a jet and tried to rescue an El Paso pilot who had been badly burned while trying to take off from an airfield in Colombia. Jimmy was arrested by the Colombian authorities. The Colombians refused to let the paramedic Jimmy had brought to attend to the burnt pilot. Right? So they just let the pilot die in front of Jimmy instead of letting the guy he brought Paramedic help him? Yeah, it's just Colombian. Cool, guys. It's just Colombian law. Cool. That's the way things go. That's cool. Jimmy was held in Colombia for a couple of months. In the end, no charges were filed and he was allowed to leave. But that was two of Jimmy's drug loads gone. Right. Right. Meanwhile, family problems were building up. Lee's marriage was on the rocks.
1: I right. wonder what she wasn't into. <laughs> Vegas again? Cool, Lee. See you later, fucking prick. He also fucked everything.
0: <laughs> That's a so deal breaker. He was having orgies, and he was just, like, fucking everything. That was. I would call him Or Lee's. Right. His younger brother, Joe, who had followed Lee's footsteps, now wanted out of the law firm and Jimmy started plotting to make up for the losses. Lee's business had never really recovered from the indictment, and he was becoming depressed and starting to talk about death. Oh, and he had terrible, painful hemorrhoids. <laughs> so that's when he started doing cocaine.
1: Oh, they say that that'll really clean up your butt. It's the... <laughs> yeah, do a little do a little of that booger sugar. Little of the devil's dandruff will get rid of your butt bumps.
0: Yet in the middle of all that, Lee pulled off what maybe was his best defense ever for the El Paso 10. They had been caught with the pot, 17,000 pounds, in two airplanes, with four U-Haul trucks, caught red-handed. By the end of the trial, the jury refused to find them guilty. (laughs) Lee was a master at working a jury. The government wanted to find the 10 guilty so badly that they kept lying, even though they didn't have to. Often it was just about where they were during the surveillance. An agent would say he he had been here, and Lee would pull out a map proving there was a hill that the guy couldn't see over. And then he would catch them in the lie, and then he'd look at the jury and smile and wink.
1: Oh, God. They were like, well, Lee, we can't. No, Lee's right.
0: And then spin his cane.
1: So just through the the government overstepping and the power of persuasion. Yeah. Yeah. He had the jury eating out of his hands.
0: In closing statements,
1: Lee I pointed out. I wish that out, was really true.
0: They it, go take a bite of that.
1: They love granola.
0: There you go. Just go ahead and nibble. They on love that gorp right there. and
1: they love granola. <laughs> Juror eleven is actually lactose intolerant.
0: In closing statements, Lee pointed out that all the all the lies and the prosecution was ruined. Not guilty for all. After the trial, one of the jurors said, "Quote, I know those boys did everything they said they did, but damn it, they didn't
1: prove it." <laughs> I mean, that is an ideal juror for a prosecution. (laughs) Totally, I know they did it. But holy shit, you were good. I like the way you spun the cane around. He's amazing. Winking at us. Come on. He's a ham. What's up,
0: girl? Uh, Now the feds really wanted to take down Lee. Jamie Boyd was a longtime politician in El Paso, and he was friends with Lee. It's a small town. All these guys know each other. When the U.S. attorney position opened up in the area, Lee was one of the many who supported Boyd, and Boyd was given the job. Boyd wasn't really a hard ass, but he hated gamblers, and he obsessed with the idea that the Dixie Mafia was trying to take over El Paso, even though there was no evidence that the Dixie Mafia was trying to take over El Paso. So to combat this completely made-up threat, Boy wanted to get an extremely tough federal prosecutor, and he appointed a man named James Carr who was known as being a hard ass. James Carr. Kerr. James Kerr. And Kerr became very friendly with a local judge named John Wood, which made a lot of people question the judge's impartiality. You yep. weren't supposed to hang around with the prosecutor.
1: No, that makes sense. Doesn't it? Yeah.
0: They, they just buddied around the whole time. Yeah, Everyone's you like, wanna... what
1: are you doing? Yeah, you don't want to walk in the next day and be like, oh, hey morning, man. Fuck. <laughs> We tied one over last night. Holy shit. Woo, I not You want to just get good. to this? Yeah, Guilty. Yeah, yeah great.
0: Guilty. All right, Lee, you want to go get lunch? Let's
1: get golfing.
0: Lee hated Kerr, and Kerr hated Lee. They were polar opposites. Lee liked doing blow and listening to Willie Nelson, and Kerr liked listening to box and going to church. Bock.
1: I was like, what? Box. what else you got, box?
0: Kerr thought Lee was vulgar, mostly because Lee liked to walk up behind Kerr and whisper disgusting things in his ear that make Kerr blush. I'll fuck your mouth.
1: Excuse me? Hey, asshole.
0: That's so great. I would love yeah. to watch that.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I'd pay money to watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a
1: guy walking up behind the... Drink my piss. What? Hey, fuck you, dude. You ever have a tongue in your butthole? Hey, get out of here. Get out of here. Let me suck <sighs> on your fingers. See you inside. <laughs> Judge Wood was the
0: perfect ally for Kerr. Wood bought completely into the Nixon rhetoric and thought the country was at war with drugs and that they were destroying traditional America. Wood was a member of every old school club in San Antonio, the Sons of the Republic of Texas, the Sons of American Revolution, the Texas Cavaliers, the Argyle Club, the San Antonio Club, the Order of the Alamo, the San Antonio Gun Club, the German Club, the American Legion, the San Antonio Country Club. He had his head so far up tradition, tradition's ass it was never coming out. And Wood had jurisdiction on the entire El Paso docket. Plus, he was all about handing out maximum possible sentences to drug dealers. For eight years on the bench, Judge Wood handed out the maximum sentence in every single case. What?
1: (laughs) Talk about a bad reputation. You're like, well, you're fucked. Uh, For sure fucked.
0: He bragged about never giving probation in a heroin case. He once even sentenced a dope dealer to 35 years for contempt of court. What? That's
1: not allowed. <laughs> I mean, like, normally, like, you, you know, they'll give you, like, five days or, like, two weeks, and you're just like, yeah, I'll take it. Fuck you, judge. 35 years, he'd be like, I'm so sorry. No, please, I'm so sorry. Yeah, judge, why don't you bring whatever you got? 35 years. No, no, no. It was like a th- Shut I up. Was Get talking. out of here. What the fuck Get happened? out of here. Enjoy half of your life. Get out of here, you piece of shit. And he
0: didn't care whether the drug was m- marijuana or heroin. He was so brutal in his sentences that he embarrassed other judges. Other judges flat out thought what he was doing was completely out of line and didn't shy away from saying so. His nickname become became Maximum John. That's terrible. And he loved who's, it.
1: Who's my judge?
0: Maximum John. I
1: got a good feeling. <laughs> like you mean like he's like I wanted Minimum Joni. He's. <laughs> <laughs> or at least Medium Terry. uh
0: Maximum John loved his nickname. Even though he had the most overturned sentences in the country.
1: Doesn't, that doesn't matter to him, though. You're still leaving the, your courtroom on a high note. No, he doesn't give a shit. Maximum, boom! Yeah. Out of here. Like two weeks later.
0: In April 1977, Kerr had an idea and went to Nashville to look over the 1973 indictments against Lee Chagra and Jack Strickland. The ones that had been already dismissed. Yeah. But Kerr had a plan he was going to reindict Strickland and hopefully Lee using an unknown section of the 1970 drug control act that spelled out the crime of quote continuing criminal enterprise. It was called the Kingpin act. Basically it was part of the law. No one had paid attention to. It was completely vague, but basically said that if someone kept committing violations with five or more people and was an organizer and made Money from it Then they could be arrested Yeah you're looking up Because it doesn't make sense Yeah It's basically saying If you're hanging around A bunch of dudes And they commi- Are committing crimes And you're Not ha- doing that And you're telling them What to do And making money You get You're you go, If
1: you're you know, telling them What to do
0: Well organizers So if you're like But that's what oh, a lawyer so he, But
1: he's legal. But he he's legally advising them You mean Well
0: he's a lawyer So that's yeah. his job Is to legally advise people So under the statute, being a lawyer... Is illegal. Is illegal.
1: Being a lawyer to people who are guilty is illegal. Right. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people you gotta lock up. Uh,
0: so, um, it's basically just complete garbage, the whole thing. And yet, the maximum sentence, if convicted, life without
1: parole. Wow. For just hanging.
0: Yeah. We're just doing your job. Yeah. So, Kurt put together all the interviews with arrested drug dealers since 1973 included concluded he could arrest Strickland who was already in jail for something else. D agents then went and threatened Strickland with life in prison. If he didn't roll on Lee. Okay. Jimmy looked at the copy of the law. They handed him and said, quote, fold this five ways and stick it where the elves don't play. So, which <laughs> is the greatest "fuck you" that any man has ever said Stick to any other man? It where
1: the elves don't play, I think.
0: In his mind, anywhere
1: besides the South Pole, elves play everywhere. But your asshole, he's been in jail a long time. <laughs> I live with elves now. He just sees elves when he goes to bed. But they're not in my butthole. The one place that the elves won't go, we all know, is the butthole. I keep trying to lure them in there with muffins. (laughs) I keep telling them Santa's workshops right up in my colon. (laughs) Stick it where the elves don't play. Sorry, what the fuck? I'm sorry, I don't know what's happening. Sorry, are you in or out? You're No, where the elves don't play. Right. So you will help us? No, where they don't play. Where mean, don't the fucking elves in play? In buttholes. Right, elves down. don't like buttholes. Open this door. Have you ever read a Someone fairy open the tale? Open this door. Have yeah. you ever read
0: the book Not in the Butthole about the elves?
1: You mean the handwritten one I'm looking at your desk right here at? Yes! No, I have not read your handwritten I'm book. I'm drawing the this pictures door open? right now. Get this door open. Does yes. that look like a cave? Because it's not a cave. No, I'm aware of what that is. It's very clear. Uh, yeah, thank you. So, Kerr brought
0: charges against Strickland. Lee looked them over and thought they were ridiculous. It was clearly double jeopardy. The indictment had no new evidence. He couldn't even understand it. At the same time, Jimmy decided to move his drug operation to Florida. Lee went and set up a dummy corporation for Jimmy to funnel his money through. This was the first time Lee had ever clearly allowed his name to be linked to
1: illegal activities. Good timing. (laughs) When well, the sharks are swimming, that's when you pick a scab. It's a risk he decided to take because of family. Okay, But still, I mean, he's fucked. Yay, he's
0: family! Ugh. At the same time, Lee's brother Joe, also a member of the law firm, was at his end. Lee was constantly losing when gambling and taking money from the firm to pay for his losses.
1: <laughs> he's better called Saul, right? Jo-
0: <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Does oh, it? well, he is. Joe, quote, I never know if we have $50,000 in our account or 50 cents. <laughs> That's a big difference. That is a very large difference. Yeah. Joe left the law firm and opened his own. The family was splitting apart. Lee went to court in the Strickland case to file a motion of discovery. He wanted Maximum John to turn over all the DEA reports, the custom reports, the grand jury probes, and any other material that would reveal when Strickland uh, had engaged in uh, this bullshit continuing criminal activity. Then Kerr reminded Maximum John that Lee was one of those who had been indicted as part of the case, and that he shouldn't be given any of the material because he shouldn't be given documents concerning the investigation about himself and the crimes he may have committed. That's crazy. And not okay. (laughs) No, totally insane. Yeah. Lee was using the court to try to worm his way out of his own crimes, Kerr argued, Of course, Maximum John agreed, saying Lee was trying to get reports about an investigation of himself.
1: That's such... I mean, by that token, you could just charge anyone with anything ever, and then they can't look at shit. Yeah. Just because they've been charged. Lee couldn't believe what
0: was happening. What investigation of himself? And now reporters were all over the story. With a courtroom packed full of media, Lee tried to defend himself, saying that Maximum John had made a personal attack with his ruling, and the negative publicity was going to do great damage. Then Maximum John dropped a bomb. I imagine everyone in this area knows that you've been the subject of a grand jury investigation ever since the Tennessee indictment. Is there any secret about that? Well, there was. Yes, there was. There was. A big secret. That's what a secret grand jury is. Yeah.
1: (laughs) What a prick.
0: Lee had no idea, and neither did anyone else. Jesus. Judge Idiot wasn't supposed to reveal a thing. It was an insanely out of line thing for a judge to reveal this info in court. But Maximum John just kept talking, explaining all the people the grand jury was looking into and some of the evidence against them.
1: I mean, there must have been someone in there like, Max, John, 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 give him the light. Give him the light. Light him. Hey, verbal diarrhea. Light Light him. Hey, verbal diarrhea. Hey, hey, hey. Wrap it up. Hey. Can we take a break? Everyone knows you have hemorrhoids. Recess. You have hemorrhoids.
0: Um, And so he's telling people the evidence against them And the evidence against Lee But he was confusing an investigative report From a discredited snitch With actual grand jury testimony You
1: want to be 100% (laughs) When you're going to do that
0: (laughs) Wow, what a dick Lee then made a motion for Maximum John to recuse himself and the judge refused to do so.
1: Jesus, he refused the recuse? Yeah.
0: Lee's reputation had taken another brutal body blow. Again, no one wanted to hire an attorney who might be under indictment. Over the next year, he only had a handful of cases. After all that, Jamie Boyd decided to drop the continuing criminal enterprise charges against Jack Strickland that Kerr had brought. A week after that horrible day in court, Lee called a friend. Clark Hughes. And told them they were going to Vegas Oh boy Quote This is gonna be one they'll write a book about I'm gonna take the joint apart Oh god That's a good, that's oh a good sign right Not good Not,
1: Especially considering it seems like he already takes the joint apart
0: Well anytime someone says they're gonna go take Vegas apart Not good and No it's a great sign it means No it definitely take means apart.
1: someone's ODing Did you see Rain Man? Yeah Okay I think I made my point. Oh, God.
0: Caesar's Palace sent a Learjet and a limousine dropped them off at the casino. Then they went to the suite.
1: Lee had a routine. Uh, I bet drugs are involved.
0: First, he would make about a dozen phone calls. Okay. Then he would bathe, groom, and dress himself in his special outfit for gambling. Sure. A red cowboy shirt with pearl buttons and a black Western cut leisure suit. Okay.
1: I like what I'm hearing.
0: Also, a giant solid gold belt buckle with a crust of diamonds. Sure. A a black cowboy hat and black alligator cowboy boots. Okay. He would stare at himself in the mirror, holding his ebony cane until he was ready to go.
1: Sounds like he's dressing like a western white
0: stripe. At this point, he would call himself the black striker.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> the Black Striker. <laughs> the Black Striker. The Black Striker's coming. So he is a super gambling hero. He's like, yeah.
0: It's always a good sign when you have an alias for gambling.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's when you know you're fine. Well, Lee didn't do well, but I'll tell you, the Black Striker lost a shitload. Holy shit! Here comes the Black Striker. <laughs> <laughs> Lee hit the
0: floor around midnight and went straight to the crap table. He told the pit boss to clear the table.
1: And so get he, them all out of there. And he
0: did. Now, this just caused people to want to know what was happening, and a crowd gathered. Lee looked at the pit boss and said, Look at him. You ought to pay me $1,500 an hour to entertain customers. Where do you get off? Who do you think you are? He's like, you told... just... No, just please throw the fucking dice. Fuck, dude. Just shut up and gamble. Throw the dice. In 30 minutes... He lost $90,000. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) In 30 minutes, he lost $90,000. Yeah. He lost three grand every minute. (laughs) How? You have to be trying to lose. Oh my
0: God. He and Clark went back to the suite, and two hookers came in. Clark left, and Lee did his thing.
1: You mean just held their hand and talked to her about yeah, her problems? Yeah, he,
0: he liked to. I mean, his thing with hookers was he just liked to talk to him about what was going on. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. See what see what their dad did. He wants someone to listen to him. Yeah. Why is that so wrong? It's not wrong. Um, the next morning, Lee was back at it. When Clark got there, Lee had lost another eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> Oh, boy. And was yelling at the
1: floor. I thought, ma- the, I thought, it sounds like the joint's taking him apart. Yeah, it does not sound like his original plan yeah. is... Uh, taking the joint apart.
0: Uh, when Clark got there, he was yelling at the floor manager who was about to cut off his credit.
1: I, thought, I really was hoping you weren't going to say manager. Goddamn floor! Lee went back
0: to his room and decided he needed to change his luck. That night, he was going to go downstairs and play back rat instead of craps. Smart. Right? Play one that you're probably less familiar with. Change it up a little bit. Yeah. Clark decided not to hang around this time. When he finally came to the casino later that night, Lee had gone through almost his entire credit line. He was now down $240,000. Holy shit.
1: Holy shit. So they checked out of Caesars. The Black Strikers having a bad run.
0: (laughs) So they checked out of Caesars and went to the Aladdin where Lee had... A $250,000 line of... Crap. Oh, boy. What?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, but he's on the hot streak. It's not. How can it go wrong? Ride him.
0: This time, Lee turned it around. In under 15 minutes, he was up $90,000. Jesus It's <laughs> just mind-boggling. Holy shit. And he quit for the night. Clark oh, wow. figured he would go back to Caesars and pay off some of his debt. Nope. Oh, boy. The next... Afternoon at the Aladdin, he was right back at it. Oh God! And he lost hundred ninety thousand dollars. Oh God!
1: <laughs> then it's that... really starting to add up, Dave.
0: <laughs> then that night he lost another seventy thousand oh, dollars. Fuck! Is he tra- is he blindfolded? What's that's, happening? That's two hundred sixty thousand dollars. That's ten thousand over his credit limit.
1: <laughs> and that's just there. He's already got the two fifty. Back at Caesar. Two forty at Caesars. Two forty at Caesar. All, all it's a
0: half million. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Lee was cut off at, at the Aladdin. Okay. No more credit. On the way to the airport. To the
1: flamingo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on the way to the airport, Lee was very quiet. Why do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Just, Just soaking in that, that beautiful stuff. desert view? Clarkham asked him how he was going to pay off half a million. I don't know, Lee said. Suddenly, the money was gone. By early autumn, Lee was hustling personal injury cases.
1: He's just like on the street, like, I'll represent you for a buck. Come on, man. Seriously. Hey, ma'am, I'll defend you for a dollar. Come on, bitch.
0: He was doing divorces. He was doing wills.
1: I'll do weddings. I'll do whatever.
0: He was practically chasing ambulances. I make balloon animals. A few weeks later, Lee finally had his hemorrhoidectomy. He had his what?
1: His hemorrhoidectomy? A hemorrhoidectomy.
0: He finally had that shit cut out. Okay. That's how that's how low he was. He was so low that he was getting his ass properly cared for. While in the hospital. That's probably
1: why he played craps cuz you can stand. While in the hospital, he received a dozen roses with a card. Although did it burn when he played craps. Go ahead.
0: The card was from his friends in Vegas. It read, "I hope your ass feels like what you did to us."
1: Oh god. <laughs>
0: Cards you don't ever want to get from Las Vegas. Yeah. (laughs) Lee's practice never really picked up. In 1978 was as bad as 1977. And Jimmy's Florida enterprise was successful, which just upset Lee more. More than anything, the rivalry with Jimmy drove him nuts. Meanwhile, Kerr decided to get every drug dealer convicted to squeal on Lee, but none of them would. Mostly because Lee wasn't a drug kingpin. But then Jimmy's partner, Henry Wallace, was busted. Jimmy and Henry had been having problems. The main problems being Jimmy was in charge of getting the dope in to the country and two massive shipments had been confiscated due to Jimmy making dumb moves. Then Henry was high on cocaine one night and drunk, and he crashed his car into an airport limo. He had $114,000 in cash on him, that had traces of cocaine on it. Oh boy! So Henry, uh, when talking to the feds, uh, said if they gave him his money back, he would start talking. Well, isn't he in? Tr- he's in trouble too, though, right? But yeah, but
1: they just want Jimmy and Lee. They don't give a fuck. They no. just want those. Okay, so they agreed to give him
0: his money back. Is one hundred fourteen thousand dollars if he gave up? Government's Jimmy. cool. Yep. Yeah. Henry fingered Jimmy as the head of the organization. Other members of the Florida gang were also talking. One of them had his van break down when it was full of weed, and he decided to take it to a mechanic who fixed cars
1: for the highway patrol. (laughs) Oh, smart. Well, it looks like you do good work. I mean, obviously, the cops trust you. So just just take a look at it.
0: Can you imagine how much the van
1: smelled? Oh, God. Like a van full of weed? Yeah. And the cops walk in, they're like, this is... I I smell it too But I think it's coming From down the road
0: (laughs) I don't think it's coming From here So that guy started Talking too Now Kerr was sure He was gonna get The real kingpin Lee Yeah And Lee knew They were coming for him He became paranoid He continued to do Lots and lots of blow
1: That always helps you Kind of tone down Your paranoia Yeah His dealer
0: uh, Lou Esper Was swinging by All the time To make deliveries To his office Meanwhile, the Chagra family was becoming worried about Lee. Jimmy moved to Vegas, but he called every day to check on his brother. Lee started crying a lot, especially when he thought of Jimmy. Oh God! Jimmy was the one paying off Lee's debt to Vegas at this point. There was nothing worse for Lee than him being at rock bottom and Jimmy being on top and paying off his debts. Lee started to talk about death constantly.
1: I was just saying, I feel like we're headed for a suicide.
0: But his concern and paranoia weren't without reason. Someone had broken into the office and tried to take a safe. Okay. And then when he was at a high-stake poker game at someone's house, two men tried to break in, but they tried to break in through unbreakable glass.
1: It's the, Probably the wrong route? I think not a good route. Find the breakable
0: stuff. Lee grabbed the only gun in the house, which happened to be a musket.
1: What? What? <laughs> I'm hunting northerners. <laughs> a musket.
0: Be very, very quiet. And then they chased off the two black guys who had tried to break in. So just to sum it up, a white guy with a musket is chasing two black guys. Yep.
1: And we're in the 1970s.
0: Lee was convinced that it was an inside job. Meanwhile, Kerr had finished his investigation and was ready to indict Jimmy. Okay. Okay. Then on November 21st, Kerr was driving to work when a van blocked his way and oh, two gunmen stepped out and riddled his car with bullets. Oh, fuck. Kerr somehow survived by ducking under the dash. But now shit was on. Oh, boy. The FBI came and took all of Lee's guns and questioned him. But somehow, during all of this, Lee was hired to be part of a big case.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. He's in my He's, He's, He's that He's that good. That good. good.
0: Um, can you, can you, can you do a trial from jail? Can you? Yes. You can? Yes. So if you're in jail, you can defend me in court.
1: I can't. The black striker can.
0: Oh, I like the black striker.
1: Yes, he's uniform. He owes money though, right? He is in a lot of debt and has made some very bad financial decisions. Thankfully, I'm here to to help clean it up.
0: So you're not in debt because you're not the
1: black striker. I, I have no debt. No, I'm completely out of debt. But the black striker can go The Black Striker is it has made terrible investments and is in an extreme amount of debt from gambling. So he woes. but he
0: can be in court is my guy when you're in jail. Absolutely. Yep. But what if he gets killed because of the debts? Uh then you should come
1: talk to me. But you'll be in jail. Right. Yep. All right, I'm gonna hire you. Great. I think we've got a great thing. Please sign this contract. In December
0: Late December, Lee won the highly publicized bank fraud case. It was his biggest victory in ages. He thought it might all be turning around. Oh, boy. He met his family at the airport and couldn't stop talking about the win. Then in the middle of the night, he got out of bed, went to his office, took $75,000 out of his safe, and drove to a truck stop. There, a Native American man approached his car. Lee gave him all of the money. That was the last of the half a million that he owed Vegas. Lee had, Jimmy had given Lee all the money to pay off his Vegas debt. Okay. And Jimmy was doing great. Since Jimmy moved to Vegas, he had been living large. Endless spending, endless betting. He had blown through around $20 million. In gambling? and just everything. Just oh my Just buying, buying property and fixing it up lavishly and... Spending on everything and gambling. Constantly. He's
1: living like in Brewster's Millions, but without the without the millions, without the deal.
0: Yeah, without the deal where you spend it all, you get.
1: Yeah, you win. Right.
0: You're not going to get a podcast that'll do a Brewster's Millions <laughs> reference. This is the only one. We also signed cards. Thank you. The next day, Lee celebrated his court victory at the office. Friends stopped by. Lots of cocaine was snorted. A man named Cowboy came by and Lee A gave man
1: a, named Cowboy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very general. He's also a black guy.
1: Uh, well, that black honestly guy, does make it a little bit better.
0: A black guy named Cowboy came by and Lee just handed him $10,000. Here you go, Cowboy. Everyone assumed it was just another gambling debt. That was pretty normal in Lee's life. The party was over in the early afternoon and everyone went home. Okay. That's quite a cocaine party that ends it. Two. Normally cocaine parties Don't end Yeah At four o'clock A friend stopped by He found Lee Shot and dying Jimmy was called And he rushed back From Vegas When he got to the office He knelt over the body bag That his brother was in And started bawling Like a child Later He stormed around The family home Waving a gun Saying he was going to Kill someone Anyone He thought the DEA Had executed His brother Lee And he blamed Kerr and Maximum John. He blamed the judge most of all. He ruined Lee. Jimmy yelled. Lee's funeral was like a scene from The Sopranos. While people from all over the community paid their respects, feds took pictures from across the street. A state senator was a pallbearer next to a drug dealer beside the district attorney (laughs) beside another drug dealer. Jimmy came dressed in a red western t-shirt, a black western cut suit, a black cowboy hat, a large gold gold Mhm. <laughs> you can keep going. Belt buckle and black alligator cowboy boots. He was making a statement. He was taking over being head of the family.
1: There must have been someone who was like, I thought that was Lee the whole time. What the shit? I told you he wasn't him. Oh, my God.
0: You're brother.
1: That's the craziest thing. He comes dressed up like his brother. Who Look, just. cocaine will make you do some fun stuff. You can't kill the black striker. No, you can't. No. but It's like Menudo. More will come. <laughs> <laughs> Months later. It's like, the, it's like Doctor Who. It is exactly
0: like... Okay. Months later, two soldiers from Fort Bliss admitted to robbing and killing Lee Chagra. It had nothing to do with the DEA. They were sent by Lou Esper, the man who sold Lee cocaine. Really? Yeah, he was just trying to rob him because he would always look in the safe and see all the money. Then he's just a shitty little drug dealer. Yeah. A couple of months after Lee's death, Jimmy was indicted on several drug charges. He got out on bail and went back to Vegas. There, while at a poker tournament, he met a man named Charles Harrelson. Harrelson was a convicted hitman. He's also Woody Harrelson's dad.
1: Oh, shit. Oh, boy. I know. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If Memory serves, this guy doesn't have a good thing going on.
0: Within half an hour, Jimmy and Harrelson had come to an agreement to assassinate Maximum John. Shit. On May 29th, 1979, the day Jimmy was to go on trial, Maximum John walked out of his apartment and noticed he had a flat tire. He looked at it, and then a shot rang out. A neighbor was watching from across the street and saw no one else, just the judge dropping. By the time he got to Maximum John, he was dead. The FBI called the assassination the crime of the century. There's, been, the a lot of, there's easy, been a lot of crimes easy the Easy FBI.
1: <laughs> But there's that's pump the brakes, FBI. (laughs) Slow it down, FBI.
0: That's gonna be the name of my movie.
1: Pump the brakes, FBI. (laughs) But
0: uh, it didn't stop the court case. Jimmy was still being tried under the vague drug kingpin law. Henry Wallace testified and was quite convincing, as did the others. One after one, they sold Jimmy down the river. Jimmy was found guilty. But before sentencing, he jumped bail. Smart. Unfortunately, he went back to Vegas and was turned in by a casino waiter that Jimmy had asked to go buy wigs
1: for him. <laughs> Dude, you got to vet your wig shopper. Always. What? What? Alright, and what about what would you would you like super salad? Uh, neither. Actually, can you go buy me wigs?
0: Could you get me four wigs? Two blonde, two brunette.
1: And a mustache. And I'll take
0: the uh I'll take the
1: pie. Also an eye patch. I'll take the pie. And uh I'll and, have the uh, crusted salmon. Patch. Give me like a hand hook. Give me a hand hook. Give me a hand hook, get me a pirate hat, get me a cane. Get yeah. me a Peter Pan outfit, Peter some Pan brunette outfit. wigs, some blonde wigs, fake mustache, an iPad, a novelty horn. Uh, Clown wig. A, one of those Phantom of the Opera masks. Clown makeup. Uh, a flower that squirts, and, uh, and then a Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh,
0: so the waiter turned in Jimmy, and Jimmy was caught and sentenced to 30 years. For wig shopping? Yeah. Sometime later, the last Chagra brother, who was still alive and not in prison, Joe, came in contact with Charles Harrelson. Oh, fuck. Harrelson, at this point, had been cleared of the murder of Maximum John. Joe noticed that Harrelson had an enormous supply of cocaine that was always, he was always putting up his nose. Now, Joe, Joe noticed this because he was also now doing an enormous amount of cocaine.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Joe agreed to work as Harrelson's attorney in a gun and drug case. That you know from San cocaine. Antonio.
1: Cocaine brought that contract to yeah, be. It must have been a great discussion. Yeah. Of course I'll be a fucking lawyer. Yeah. You wanna be buddies? Yeah. I, I will represent buddy. you. I will represent mm-hmm. you so fucking yeah. hard, dude, because oh, you're my like my best friend. I love that. Like I will fucking represent I the shit out of <clears throat> Oh my god. I'm gonna fuck there's no oh. way anyone's gonna ever find you fucking guilty of shit. You're fucking dude. best. <laughs> You know, nobody's my ever bro. gonna find you guilty as shit, dude. You know what? Bros huh. forever. Bros forever, Bro's dude. Forever. Bros forever. Ever, I swear ever, to God, ever. I think if we fuck. run into each other fast enough, we can become one oh my man.
0: God. How are you, my lawyer? Not like part of me, or dude. Like I a... am you. I am you. You, you are me. me. That's what I'm saying, and that's, that's what, what we're
1: gonna tell that fucking jury. Yes, we are. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking jury, to fucking. Notice. Try to tell us apart so, is what I'm gonna uh, say. It's yeah, a try, yeah, a try, exactly, try it's like a fuck. trial, like trial, trial. Yeah. Hey, you wanna go ride ponies? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I wanna ride ponies, dude. All I wanna do is go ride some fucking ponies. I was about to fucking put that up on the idea board. That's okay. I have a vision board, and that's on the fucking vision board Let's go fucking oh, I fucking, fucking, love, bro, I fucking love you bro I fucking love you bro alright let's get in the car yeah get in the car yeah exactly that's what I'm saying let's get in the fucking car <sighs> uh, yeah
0: <laughs> oh god <laughs> alright so uh, so Joe agreed to work as Harrelson's attorney in the drug and, gun and drug case in San Antonio but Harrelson didn't show up to his court appointment that's embarrassing now he was a fugitive at this point Harrelson had other priorities. He,
1: had become, he wanted to get his son on a sitcom. <laughs> well, this—I mean, so we're talking 1980. Yeah, this is right around the time. I mean, is he on Cheers yet? Well, he—I mean, he came in later, but probably we're in 1980 specifically.
0: I think we're a little bit past 1980. I think we're my guess is mid-80s. he's like 80. Well, yeah, it's right around this 80s. time. Um. So, ba ba ba. Yeah, so Harrelson had other priorities at this point because he was shooting cocaine. Right. <laughs> One night, he called Joe because he thought he saw DE agents watching him from the trees. Sure, just your
1: classic stakeout.
0: A couple days later, he called saying he was being followed by helicopters and little men were boring holes in his bathroom walls.
1: Wait, were these the elves? <laughs> these are the elves. God, I knew it. You know where they won't go. Buttles. That's why it's so weird they're going to the bathroom. A month later, Harrelson was driving in the desert,
0: shooting cocaine, and seeing federal agents' faces on highway signs when he heard God, his, they're good. <laughs> when he heard his muffler rattling, he got out and tried to repair it by shooting at it.
1: You know, there there's many ways that you can fix a <laughs> dropped muffler. Right. This is one way. One is to kill it.
0: Yeah. But he
1: missed... Okay. <laughs> look, look. I'm not saying you shouldn't shoot your muffler to fix it. But if you do, just hit the. Make sure to be very careful. Hit the Hit, hit, it. The, muffler. hit, the, muffler. hit the muffler. Hit
0: the muffler. Hit the muffler. And he shot out a tire.
1: <laughs> oh, fuck.
0: <laughs> I mean, how is this not a scene in a movie?
1: <laughs> Shit. That's, that's so greatest. great. Yeah.
0: Please. Started getting calls from people driving by who reported there was a man now standing on the highway pointing a gun at his head.
1: <laughs> Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Well, he was bummed. Wait, well, he's taking it very hard. <laughs> he missed his muffler, blew out his tire, so now he's going to kill himself? Yeah. So this is before AAA? <laughs> yeah.
0: Harrelson held off the cops for six hours by pointing the gun at his face. <laughs> Jesus. Finally, a friend was called to the scene, and she talked him into giving up. Harrelson then confessed to killing Maximum John. Okay. And John F. Kennedy.
1: Whoa. (laughs) No. (laughs) He didn't confess that. He did? Yeah. They were like, well, that actually hurts the confession. Ah! He confessed it! Wait, what? Yeah, and he also killed JFK and the dinosaurs.
0: The dinosaurs?
1: Yeah, he's really claiming a lot of stuff. Plus, he was Hitler. Oh, fuck. We got we gotta, we to investigate all this Yeah, stuff. I told him not to talk past the clothes, but he's going on.
0: Uh, Boyd was convinced Harrelson was telling the truth about the judge because he said something no one but the killer could have known. One of Judge Maximum's tires had been slashed. Ooh. Harrelson had to be the guy. At the same time in prison, Jimmy was bragging that he had had the judge killed. I mean, why wouldn't you? Of course. Unfortunately, his cellmate had made a deal with the FBI and was taping their conversations. Perfect. Perfect. Joe kept getting anonymous calls that Jimmy's cellmate was a snitch. But when he told Jimmy, Jimmy just laughed. <laughs> he's no snitch. <laughs> he, the guy's like, he's like, a, he's like my therapist. He's the best you know? listener I've ever it's been the around. The fucking greatest listener. All why? he does is listen. The tapes from the prison convinced a judge to allow the entire Chagra family to be electronically monitored, and that also included Harrelson. When Joe visited Jimmy in prison, Jimmy talked about those he had ordered killed, including the judge, sometimes joking, sometimes not. Now, at this point, Joe was a mess. He He snorted Coke all day and night, and his law business was non-existent. Harrelson asked Joe to come see him in prison where he now uh, was there on other charges. There, Harrelson gave Joe a map of the location of the gun that had been used to kill Judge Maximum, even though there was no reason to do it. Why? It was a terrible map that basically narrowed the location down to 100 square
1: miles. It's not a good map. (laughs) Still a lot of digging.
0: I would argue that's not a map.
1: I'd argue it's not a map.
0: Joe went home and shredded the map. Okay. Then, because he was on cocaine, he redrew it from memory. Okay.
1: Smart. This is cocaine's not working.
0: Later, a friend of Harrelson's approached Joe and said he had the gun. Joe started to think he was being set up. Oh, God. A few months later, someone broke into his office. Joe thought it was the FBI looking for the map. (laughs) We need that good map. Joe kept visiting his brother Jimmy, who was becoming increasingly belligerent. He told Joe, in different visits, to kill Harrelson, to kill Henry Wallace, and even possibly kill Strickland. (laughs) He told Joe he wanted to escape and wanted his help. He accused Joe of stealing $400,000 and said he'd tell the feds Joe ran the whole drug operation. You know, I'm not going to visit anymore. I know what's the point of visiting. I'm done
1: visiting. I mean, you're a dick. You're being a dick. You're an asshole.
0: Like you're really being a dick, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy also discussed the murder of Maximum John with his life with his wife Liz, and even said it was her fault.
1: <laughs> yeah, she, she did it.
0: She became increasingly depressed and was hospitalized for a nervous breakdown. And another time, tried to OD on drugs. Then they suddenly realized that their conversations at the prison. Might be uh, getting fucked. recorded by They're the FBI. Fucked. Jimmy then started passing Liz notes instead, which Liz was supposed to rip up and flush down the toilet. But the FBI turned off the water and took a note out of the toilet with incriminating evidence oh, on it. Oh, shit.
1: It won't flash.
0: <laughs> it won't flash. <laughs> she wouldn't want to take it out because you probably peed on oh, it. Oh, So she just left it there. I don't in want there.
1: to touch it. It's all covered in pee.
0: Using the tapes and the note to get warrants, the FBI, the DEA, and the IRS raided the Chagra Homes. Joe was arrested, and even though he hadn't had a part in the judge's murder, he had admitted he had when talking to Jimmy on the tapes, probably because he was high on cocaine.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I did murder him. But uh, listen.
0: <laughs> Fuck. Quote from the tapes. Jimmy, boy, we shouldn't have done that, huh, Joe? That's right. You're the one that said to do it, do it, do it.
1: Uh, that's good enough. That'll just, do. Pig. Just said
0: they were joking. Yeah.
1: Well, Who sorry. doesn't joke
0: about a judge's murder when Listen, you're hanging with your brother? it's and... a bit. Uh, maybe Joe was joking. Maybe he wasn't. But it didn't matter because the feds were going for the criminal conspiracy charge. And the only way to get that was to use the tapes, which means they were basically forced to include Joe on the indictment no matter what Joe took a polygraph test that was set up by his lawyer and was asked if he had anything to do with Wood's murder he passed the test then the FBI set one up and he passed all the murder questions except two one about whether or not Harrelson was his client okay (laughs) understandably you could get why that might be a problem yeah and the other was if he knew where the gun was
1: well because of the kind of does (laughs) Kinda. I know what state it might be in. I gotta... (laughs) You know Rhode Island? It might be there. It's bigger than that. It's in that area, but larger. Uh,
0: The uh, prosecutors offered Joe five to ten years for a guilty plea if he cooperated and testified. But he didn't do the crime, so he said no. Good. Then in August... 1981, two boys were walking along a creek and they found a stock from a two hundred forty caliber Weatherby weather Mark V rifle. That was it. The FBI had the murder weapon. They traced it to the store that had sold it. The name on the form was Faye King. Faye King?
1: <laughs> the name on it was Faye King? Yeah. So we got to find this faking guy. Oh, that's dynamite. May as well have been fa Q. <laughs> you
0: got to love California or just U.S. gun laws. Faking. Uh, but she, uh, when buying the weapon, you have to you put your fingerprints. Sure. Uh, so they traced it to Joanne Harrelson. Woody's stepmom, oh boy, Charles Harrelson's wife. She was arrested and found guilty of using a false name to purchase a weapon and got a three-year prison sentence. Then Charles Harrelson pleaded guilty to the other charges he was facing, but had run away from the drugs and weapons charges. He got 40 years in prison. Fuck. Now the FBI had him in prison, and they could squeeze him. His stepdaughter was also jailed for refusing to testify to the grand jury. But she started talking after a few weeks in jail. The FBI was getting closer and closer, squeezing and squeezing. Indictments for the criminal conspiracy in the murder of Judge Maximum were issued against Jimmy, Liz, Joe Chagra, and Charles Harrelson. They had used 70 full-time FBI agents who logged... 82,000 hours oh my God. and interviewed 30,000 people. Oh, my God. That doesn't count the DEA and IRS investigations. Ugh. The investigation cost between 5 and $10 million. At the trial, Harrelson had a great defense. He said he had not killed the judge, but had taken credit for it so he could get paid. Interesting. It's a hard one to see through. Interesting.
1: It's... It's a perfect loophole. I mean, it's you'd believe it. Why would you not believe yeah. it?
0: This is the guy who shot a tire yeah. instead of a buffalo. Yeah. Harrelson was sentenced to two life terms. Joe Shagra received a 10-year sentence. Joe Ann Harrelson was convicted of conspiracy and perjury. Jimmy Chagra was acquitted of the murder charge. Whoa. Because Joe refused to testify against him. But Jimmy's wife was then arrested and sent to prison for delivering the contract money. Jimmy then pleaded guilty to his role in the murder. He did that so his wife would be released from prison because she had cancer. Oh, fuck. She was never released and she died in prison. Uh, Fuckers! Joe Chagra was released from from prison after serving six and a half years of his 10-year bit. He died in a car accident in 1996. Though it can't be confirmed, it is believed Jimmy was then placed in the Witness Protection Program. He married again in Las Vegas. He was now known as Jimmy, uh, James Madrid. Jimmy died of cancer in 2008. He was living in Mesa, Arizona. In 2003, Jimmy had recanted his statements about Charles Harrelson and said someone else had shot the judge. Woody Harrelson tried to have his father's conviction overturned with no luck. Jimmy Chagra died of cancer. Their mother has survived them all. She's 100 years old and still lives in El Paso, Texas.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: What do you think about that?
1: That's a lot of man hours. (laughs) That is so crazy. Drugs, man. Fucking drugs, drugs, brah. But when they, when they, when the government get when they have their sights on somebody or something, Doesn't they matter. will do anything, anything, to make it happen. Anything, and they most times make it happen and get away with it. Yeah, even though you, I mean, obviously there's some guilt to be admitted. In I mean, this, look, he, but, he was a drug dealer's lawyer, but at the end of the day, he really wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah, but still, regardless, for to spend like you talk about like a war on drugs to spend that much time and effort on one. Well, he. Section. They
0: did kill a judge.
1: Yeah, they did kill a judge. So at that point, you got to throw everything at him, and and that's a lot to to throw at him, (laughs) especially to still not know what the fucking answer truly is. Well, we know that Jimmy hired
0: Woody Harrelson's dad. Like that's. I don't want to believe Woody Harrelson's dad's guilty. (laughs) It's not the old guy from Cheers. It's not the same.
1: That, that, was, that was, that's an actor. Wait, Woody's dad isn't coach? No. Well, Where does Sam Malone come into all this? Okay, well, let's just wrap it up. Why? I'm curious what the Diane effect in all this is. We'll talk
0: off, off, off mic.
1: When Cliff Clavin goes to visit him in jail, does everyone go, Cliffy? <laughs> okay. Just saying, does Norm have his personal prison cell? Um, that nobody else can sit in. We are uh, like his barstool the, bar the doll up on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page. And when Diane goes to jail, then do they bring in Rebecca who's you know now Sam's warden? And uh, you know, I don't know how it works. I think I'm now talking about Cheers Prison, but I don't even we're signing cars. Well Oh, hey there everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy. The Gareth Army. Uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them.